0: Good morning and welcome to everyone. My name is Rowan, uh, one of the pastors here at EV. Great to see you as you've come along. Uh, that, listen to what God is saying in His Word, that we together might think through what He's saying to us and how it shapes the way that we live. Well, I'd love you to leave your Bibles open and pull out your outlines. There'll be some uh, space to take notes in there as we think through what this passage is saying to us. But why don't we pray that God today would capture our minds, that we might see what He sees, and that, Help us to change the way we think about ourselves and the world. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you've not left us in the dark. That we can come along and hear as we open your word, you speak to us. We pray this morning that you would help us to see clearly what you would want us to hear. That you might comfort us, you might challenge us. You might point us to the truths of your message and send us out into your world with great boldness. We pray today that you'd speak by your Spirit and through your Word. Amen. When I was a kid at school, we used to play this game called Mercy. Do you remember the game? You kind of get your hands, you'd have two hands, and you kind of go against someone else, and they'd have their hands here, and you'd try and twist their hands off. That was the idea of the game and you kind of try and twist it until your hands were bent back to the point of weirdness and you'd cry out mercy at which point if they were playing the game properly uh, they would stop kind of twisting your hands off and the whole reason you'd call out the word mercy because you're saying please show me mercy don't give me what I deserve don't snap my hands off because I'm a weakling and I never should have started this game with you in the first place anyway that's why they call it mercy right because you deserve it because you're a weakling if you can't play the game why did you go in and we've played this game called mercy. and helped me to understand what mercy is. See, mercy is not getting what you do deserve. It's not getting what you do deserve. Now, the flip side of mercy is what we call grace. And grace is getting something we don't deserve, like an undeserved gift. You're like, wow, I didn't deserve that. Mercy is like, well, I deserve that, but you didn't give it to me. <laughs> like, I deserve that penalty. Throughout my life, I've been shown mercy many times. Many times, there's been lots of opportunities where mercy has been shown to me. I'll tell you a few of them. One was when uh, Nathaniel was 10 weeks old and I drove my car with Sarah into a puddle. It was a reasonably long puddle, um, but halfway through the puddle, the water came above the windscreen. At that moment, our car kind of got water sucked into it and then stuffed the engine. The car was kind of totally written off. Um, The insurance company showed me mercy now, sure, we had an, an arrangement just nine days earlier when we took out the policy. Uh, uh, we had an arrangement where we paid them $1,000, and then I drove it into a puddle, and they went, oh, okay, now we'll give you $16,000. Like, that was merciful. I know there's an arrangement there, but I didn't deserve that. Right? And that's ever since that moment, I've been a great advocate for insurance. <laughs> How great is it? You pay $1,000, they give you a new car. Like, this is, you don't deserve it, Right? There's been so many times in other sorts of situations that I've been shown mercy. Many times at school, I didn't get what I did deserve. Uh, But often, I've noticed mercy in my marriage, where I do and say things that are dumb, or that are hurtful, or that are inconsiderate, and Sarah doesn't treat me as I deserve. Uh, I'm so thankful for Sarah's mercy. Time and time again, she shows mercy to me, as I do to her, just less frequently, (laughs) But here's the thing, when you experience mercy, not getting what you do deserve, it changes the way you relate to the other person. And it changes the way you relate to the world around you. When you have seen mercy, it encourages a a change of attitude, change of the way you speak and act. Now, for the Apostle Paul, experiencing God's mercy changed his whole life. Changed everything about what he did and how he used his time. If you look back over this Apostle Paul that wrote the book of 2 Corinthians, he was the Christian killer. He calls himself, at one point later, when he became a Christian, the worst of all sinners. He hated Christians. These people that thought Jesus was the true and living God, he was a Jew and a devout Jew. He'd done his time, circumcised on the eighth day. He knew the law, the Torah. He knew all the commands. He'd been brought up in the church. He was the Jew of Jews. And he was not going to stand around while these people came in and said, really, Judaism was pointing forward to Jesus. So he hated Christians. He persecuted them. He collected people's coats so that they could stone Christians. When I say stone, I mean kill. He stood by... While Christians died, he hated them. But the true and living God did not give him what he deserved. On the road one day, God appeared to him. He saw Jesus. He was convicted that he was the true and living God. He gave his life to God. He did not get punished as he deserved. And that changed the way Paul lived. The mercy of God changed how he lived. He became convinced Jesus was the true and living God. That Jesus' death was no mere accident. That it was the culmination of world history. That Jesus had taken the penalty for what he had done when he died on the cross. Experiencing the mercy of God dramatically changed the life of Paul. And so he starts chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. Therefore, since we have this ministry because we were shown mercy, we do not give up instead we have renounced shameful secret things not walking in deceit or dis- distorting god's message but committing ourselves to every person's conscience in god's sight by an open display of the truth the mercy of god not giving paul what he deserved propelled him forward to point everyone in the world around him at the amazing god who'd shown him mercy that drove paul forward now, we live in a world that doesn't want to hear the news that Paul speaks. We live in a world that doesn't want to know about this Jesus who died for them, or that, that we need someone to die in our place, or that there is judgment. Like, where was the last time you walked into a cafe and went, oh, I'll have a, a long black, and the person went, you know what, I've been thinking about the life and world, and you know, do you know anything about Jesus? Like, I'd love for you to tell me about how I'm a sinner, and if I don't repent, that I, that I need to really face God's judgment. Has that ever happened to anyone, show Shelf Hands? Right, once to me, I sat on a park bench and my mate said, tell me why someone like you needs to believe in Jesus. And I was like, you're kidding me. But then he didn't really take it on. Hardly ever does our world around us want to know about Jesus. They don't like the message we saw last week. Paul said it's an aroma of death. It stinks. Our world hates this, that there could be another king, that there is life after death, that there is a God. We want to get rid of God We just want to live life now to the full. That's what our world says. So, why do we tell people about Jesus? Why does Paul, propelled by the mercy of God, want to speak this message in a world around him that wants nothing to do with Jesus like our world today? The reason is because of the mercy of God. Because we have experienced God's mercy. God has not given you and I what we deserve. We're still breathing right now. Each and every one of us in this room has said to the true and living God at one point, I don't want to treat you as God. We might not have said those words. We've definitely put ourselves in the center of the universe rather than him. And if we reject the God who gives life, why should he continue to give us life? Why are you and I alive right now? Why is my heart beating and my lungs being filled with air? Because of the mercy of God. And that God who has shown us mercy then propels us to share that great mercy with the world around us. The world around us thinks the message of Jesus sucks. They hate it. But the mercy of God propels Paul to not give up. What does he do? He says he commends himself to every person's conscience by smoothly and articulately With amazing logic, winning everyone to Christianity by his amazing verbal powers. No, he doesn't say that. (laughs) He says, by an open display of the truth. Paul speaks a message that's the aroma of death to the world around him that they hate, even though they hate it, because it is true. Because it is true. The Corinthian church, they love these super apostles. These ones that were coming forth with eloquent speech and fancy miracles. In 1 Corinthians, we hear Paul talk about the Corinthians being drawn towards flash and pop and miraculous gifts and amazing things that were going on. And Wow, we must follow these ways rather than Christ crucified. The message that Paul preached. Around the Corinthian church and around us, people are proclaiming a different gospel. A similar gospel. A similar news about Jesus, but it's different, come to Jesus and your life will be better come to Jesus and everything will be great well they're doing it to gain money for themselves with evil reasons Paul is saying if you have changed the truth of the gospel or even if you share the news of Jesus in a deceitful way to see some gain for yourself you haven't experienced the mercy of God now that's that's a strong call What I'm saying is that every church that preaches, come to Jesus and your life will be better, has not experienced the mercy of God. For they feel they need to change the message from the true message that Paul proclaims. We ought not to stand back and say, oh, well, they're different. We ought to say, have you seen the mercy of God? Have you seen Jesus who died for us? The message that Paul proclaims we need to stick to. Corinthian church, Paul says, we preach an open display of the truth to every person's conscience, not by any evil or deceitful way, but because we want to point people to the mercy of God. So we renounce secret and shameful ways. We don't do it underhandedly. We are clear as we do this. The news of Jesus is what we call the gospel. His life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, the news that comes to us through the apostles in the Bible is what we preach. Uh, it's called the gospel. And actually, um, it's where we get the word evangelical from. We're called Auckland Evangelical Church. Why are we called that? It's a cool name. Sounds good. The rest of the world loves Trump and what evangelicalism in America means. So, you know, why not just sign up for that and say, yes, that's us. No, it's got nothing to do with that. <laughs> it's because the word evangelical comes from the word in the Greek for gospel, uh, euangelion. It's just a kind of transliteration of euangelion, gospel, good news. We are a church that is focused on the good news. The life, death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus as comes to us through the scriptures. That is the centre of what we're about. We're a gospel-centred church. That's why we're called EV. That's why EV is at the centre of our logo because the gospel is at the centre of all we do. Uh, often people get mixed up between evangelical and evangelistic. you can see that? People are like, doesn't it mean the same thing? Well, kind of, but not really. <laughs> um, evangelistic is taking the evangel, the euangelion, the gospel and isting it, isticking it, there you go, turning it into a verb, sharing the gospel, gospeling, that's what evangelism is. It's the sharing of the news of the gospel, which is what Paul has got front and center in this passage today. We are a church that plainly and straightforwardly holds out the truth of the gospel because of the mercy of God. Not with deceitful or shameful ways, but in its truth. And so we speak. But it seems that when Paul spoke this message in Corinth, when the Corinthians shared the message that Paul had set up, (laughs) that Paul had proclaimed, the Corinthian church didn't see the fruit they were expecting. They kind of didn't see everyone become Christians. This message had gone out and it wasn't as kind of powerful as they would have liked. And these super apostles with their Batman capes and their kind of super apostle written across the front. I don't know if they really had Batman capes, but imagine it, right? Avengers, that's what they were like, walking forward. Uh, These super apostles, man, their message, everyone loved. The people lapped it up. Oh, this this news that takes us back to something that's similar, maybe like Judaism. We can do this stuff and we like it. We're going to keep on going on. The diminishing of the role of Jesus and the kind of lifting up of some new way and the church lapped it up. <laughs> and there's a temptation to think because people accept it, it makes it true. How silly that is. To think that because a number of people across the world accept something that it is true. It's not true. That's <laughs> not how it works. And so the Corinthian church, I'm sure, standing there going, this message that we've been given, it's pretty pathetic. We like what the super-apostles say. Everyone laps that up. Now, the last two days, Sarah and I have been away in Hamna Springs, which has been great. And we've been away with the other senior pastors of independent churches like us uh, across the country. Um, we had Dave McDonald, who was speaking here two weeks ago, um, coming and opening the Bible for us and planning and thinking how we as churches might be seeing this gospel spread across the country, how we can be working together. It was a fantastic time of thinking and praying and planning. Uh, We've been talking together about seeing uh, a church start in Dunedin. So one of the things that came out of these last two days is thinking through how we with the other churches might be able to partner together to strategically see a a great Bible teaching church start up near the university in Dunedin, to see university ministry happen and people come through and be captured by the plain truth of the gospel. It's exciting and we'll hear more as we think through it. Be praying for a church planter that can do that. Uh, That's at the moment, humanly speaking, the only thing holding us back from starting tomorrow is someone who's willing to go, I'll go. So, and who's someone who's suitable to say, I'll go (laughs) as well. But on the way home last night, like we got in at 8.30, we're in the the Uber with the Uber driver. uh, And I was sitting there thinking, I've got this message going over in my head, going the gospel is what sees people saved. And so I'm like, I've just got to speak. I'm sitting here in the back seat going, I've got to open my mouth and talk to this guy about Jesus. I asked, asked him some questions about what he was doing and how long he'd been in the country. They, came, they moved to New Zealand the same month as Sarah and I did. I'm like, oh, this is great. So we're chatting about that and about his family and where they're, where they're at and I'm trying to kind of find out more and then the conversation kind of stilted and I'm like, oh, how do I get him to see Jesus? And I'm going, the passage says, Rowan, well, just talk about Jesus. Just proclaim the gospel in an open display of the truth. I'm sitting there with this internal turmoil going on in my head. How will he think? What will he say? And so I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll I'll ask him um, the exact time he moved to New Zealand. uh, Because that'll help me to say, we moved here for a job. And then I can talk about Jesus, right? And so I go, when did you move? And he said, oh, January. I said, oh, us too. We moved here for work. And I waited. I'm like, come on. Ask me what I do. Ask me what I do for a job. (laughs) (laughs) sitting there, Lord, please let him ask me. Anyway, he asks me, oh, after a bit, I'm like, man, that took a while. What do you do for a job? And I was like, oh, I'm a pastor. No noise, nothing back. He's like, oh, yeah. Then after a bit, he goes, oh, yeah, we have lots of churches. I'm Fijian Indian, and I've just moved here from Fiji. But in Fiji, there are lots of new churches starting up. Uh, and I said, "Yeah, for us, we, we see, we're a new church, we're seeing people come to know Jesus and um, holding out who Jesus is. He said, yeah, in Fiji, lots of, there's lots of startup-up churches." And he said, do "You know what they do? They come in, they start up a church with a charity, people give them their money, and then they leave the country with all the money. Deceitful schemes. I'm like, far out, I'm angry right now. Why do people do that in the name of Jesus? Why, why does that happen? The churches are started and people say, oh, yeah, we're here preaching Jesus, but really we just want your money. That's not what Paul was talking about. There's a false gospel and it's disrupting the way this guy views Jesus. I said, we're not like that. He (laughs) laughed. I said, no, truly, we're kind of mainline church. We're really about helping people to grapple with who Jesus is. He then told me about another church that did the same thing and then another one. And I'm like, oh God, you know, it's not far to home now. (laughs) We were just, just getting off the motorway. And I'm like, how, how can I kind of point him to this? And then I said to him, uh, are you spiritual? I'm like, I've got to talk about the gospel. It's what this is saying. So I said, oh, are you spiritual in any way? And then he said, oh, yes. I was the vice president of the Hindu church of Fiji. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> He's like, and now I'm involved with this here and we, I'm a Hindu and a very devout Hindu. And I'm like, great, now we're talking. And then I'm like, but... What is your take then on Jesus? Because I believe Jesus is the true and living God. I'm, I'm just leaving out this passage, trying to go, how do I see this happen? He then says, oh, we believe that there are multiple ways to God. Oh, so acceptable to the world around us, isn't it? If you could just say, look, Jesus is just one of the many ways and the many pathways. I said to him, Jesus says that he is God and the only way to God. And for me, Jesus is the true and living God. And we arrived at our front door. At that point, I went, I don't know what else I can do. We could sit and chat in the car and talk through it. So I prayed for him. We got out of the car, and here we stand. How? How is it that people don't accept the truth of Jesus? Because he is the true and living God. Why does that happen? Why does he hear this message and not become a Christian? I'm sure that's what the Corinthians were thinking about, the message that Paul was given. Why don't people, when we tell them about how amazing Jesus is, that he's God, that he's died for them, that he's offering them life forever, why don't they trust? The answer is because we're at war with Satan. Point number two, we're at war. The gospel is not untrue, but we are in the middle of a war. Look at verse three. If our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Friends, although it doesn't seem like it, we're in the middle of a war. There is a war going on in this world right now. 1 Peter 5, Peter tells us that Satan is prowling around in this age, roaring out lies, deceiving people, pulling them away from the truth and to false gods. Satan is no God. He just masquerades as one. And he puts in front of the world and us all sorts of convincing things to follow, all all sorts of ways that we can be satisfied other than Jesus. He doesn't Not by crazy stuff, although sometimes he does. Not by kind of people being thrown against the wall and being possessed and those sort of things we think about when we think of spiritual warfare. He doesn't need that. That would freak everyone in the Western world out. They'd be like, well, I'm not going to go near that. No, he does it by selling a lie to us. You deserve to live a better life. There is no God. Death is the end. Just live life now. It'll be fun. Just go towards what gives you pleasure now. Seek comfort you know god made you to be good god made this world good enjoy it live it up You won't surely die the same lies from the beginning and we experience the steady but slow drift away from the true and living god to false gods that captivate us and suck us in and we think will bring us more satisfaction People can't see the brilliance of the gospel because they are veiled by Satan's deception. Whether that be in the form of an idol of a god of a calf or a bull or the, uh, the idol of careerism or the idol of health and wealth and pleasure. We're so often sucked in to worship the created things rather than the one who made them. That is Satan's work. Please hear me very clearly today. Satan is at work. We are at war. This is not peacetime. He's trying to suck you and me and everyone in this world away from him and that causes a veil to be dropped so we don't see the glory of the true and living God in the face of Jesus. I want you to imagine for a moment the damage that would be caused if you got the time wrong in World War I. Imagine you came along a trench with these people with these funny hats and guns. You're like, hey guys. And they're stuck there in a trench looking tired. And you then, oh, this is a fun day. And you decided that you wanted to get over the other side. And so you climbed up out of a trench. And just walked forward, not knowing the times, not knowing if there was a war on. And leisurely walked towards the other end of the other trench to wave at the other people. And look at the scenery in these wonderful exotic places. Now, there's an attractive allure about that. Forgetting the war that this world is in. You wouldn't have the fear of imminent death because you don't think there is imminent death. You're just waltzing across this, this kind of no man's land. That's odd, there's some kind of stinky people around here. What's going on? Uh, you would be free from the grief of thinking, oh, my life might be right on the edge at this moment. It would be a wonderful, blissful moment in time for just a brief second until you, you were filled with lead because this is World War I. And you are in the trenches, and the enemy will fill you with lead because that is the reality of what is going on. Friends, the God of this world, Satan, the one who masquerades as a real God, is trying to fill you with lead by saying, Don't worry, we're not at war. Just, just waltz around in the world and enjoy it for a while until he takes us out. Be warned. Be warned. But remember, there is no problem with the message. The problem is with us believing the God of this age, Satan, in his deception. He blinds the minds of the world around us to the brilliance of who Jesus is and what he's done. There is no problem with the message. We're distracted and we look the other way and we miss the glory of the gospel. The great reformer John Calvin said this, the sun is no less brilliant because the blind do not perceive its light. The sun is no less brilliant, because the blind do not perceive its light. There's nothing wrong with the message, but where our gaze rests. And if we keep thinking we're at peacetime, when we're at war, every one of us will become a casualty. But not all is lost. Paul then Moves our eyes from the reality that this world doesn't always accept the truth of the gospel to see the power of the God of the gospel, to see the power of God. It's point three. Have a look with me at verse five. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves because of Jesus. For God, who said, let's shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ this Corinthian church who were like, we want the super apostles. Paul's like, this message is true <laughs> and its power is in the God who spoke the message. Its power is in the God who spoke the message. The God who spoke, you remember, way back in Genesis and said four words and creation came into being. Let there be light. And there was. Four words and light was created. The power of this God Paul says, comes as we speak the truth of this gospel. There is nothing wrong with this message. And it's that same light today. It's the same God who spoke that light, who speaks light into the lives of us. The reason people turn to Christ and and have that veil removed from Satan's deception is because God speaks those four words in our lives let there be light in the darkness of our lives. If you have come to the knowledge of who Jesus is, if you trust that Jesus is the true and living God, it's not because that you're brighter than anyone else or me. It's not because we've got better eyes or better perception or God somehow looks at us and thinks, yes, that one's better than the others. I'll choose them. No. It's because God chose to speak into our lives. He shone his light of darkness into us. Paul proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. But every person who turns from the God of this age and his deception and turns to the true and living God does so because God says, let there be light. Don't mistake that. The power of the gospel is in the God who speaks it. God brings people to life. He shines a light of the gospel in their lives so they might recognize who he is. What a God, how powerful and amazing he is. That's why this is a spiritual battle. We're at war. And God will win. Paul's confidence and our confidence need not lie in how well we tell the gospel to others. It does not come by speaking the gospel in such a way that everyone will be impressed by our articulation of it, our amazing logic, our, our way of showing how this is a better worldview than others. Although those, those, those things can be helpful. Our confidence comes because of the power of God. Because God speaks it. The gospel displays the glory of Christ. And God speaks through us, through Paul, to bring the light of life to people. I don't know if you're like me. <laughs> so often I'm apprehensive about sharing the news of Jesus. It doesn't sound like I was in the cab, but I had to self talk myself. Okay, come on. You're preaching this, this is true. You know this, you believe it, speak. How do I bring this up? I'm apprehensive, I'm worried what others will say. I'm worried how they'll take it, how they might be offended and go, oh, that sucks, I can't believe you believe that junk or that that rubbish. I was like, why am I so afraid to share this plain truth that I believe will change eternity for me? Why am I so afraid? I think it's because I've missed the glory of this. God of this age has said there's better things going on, more important things to focus on. I've missed how amazing this is. God the Son died for me. This is a glorious task. This message is amazing. People can move from death to life. It's better than the cure for every sort of disease and ailment we've ever seen, for it lasts forever. It is God's power to drive out the darkness of our sinful and broken human hearts and show His amazing mercy and love that He died on the cross for us. It got me thinking, what is the most glorious thing in my life? What thing do I kind of speak about all the time and want to share with people and tell them about and be excited about? What is it for you? What do you kind of never stop talking about? Is it a love for cars? a love for a certain type of car? Is it a love for, I don't know, family? Do you keep sharing pictures of your kids and your grandchildren with others and go, look at what they did, aren't they so cute? Just like their father, you know? Is that what, is that, is that what you kind of keep talking about to your, your colleagues at work and your family? What excites you? I don't even know what the score was last night. Are people happy or sad? All right. Everyone's excited about that. That's great. You know, the rugby, that's excellent. Am I ex- as excited about Jesus? Who here, because of Christ, has risen from the dead? How excited are you? Yes. <laughs> it, it struck me last week. There's a little bit of ouchness to this comment, so just be prepared. And I say it in love. But it struck me. We got Ming and Angela up the front, and we shared together that they were getting married, which is brilliant. Everyone just—I didn't even say anything. Everyone just cheered. They're like, "Whoa, this is awesome!" And we naturally respond that way. I have not heard us as a church respond that way when anyone's become a Christian. That that, that hits me too because I don't go, "Whoa, this is awesome. This is glorious." The fact that we are in Christ and He is risen. Now, I'm not saying we should cut back on the Ming and Angela thing. No, no, no more that. Let's stand here with a stip. No! But, friends, this is glorious. Do you glory in this news of the gospel? If you've not seen this glory, if you uh, have not yet trusted in Jesus, then today I want to say if you want to see it, stop. Stop and pray right now. And ask God to forgive you for what you've done and show you the glory of Christ. If you do not trust in Jesus, do it now. Just ignore whatever else I say from this point on in this talk. And just talk to Him. And then, actually, don't start yet. And then pull out your Connect card, and there's a box there that says, I decided to become a Christian today. You could tick that. Or, um, I want to kind of reconnect with God today. Tick that, and someone will get in touch with you, and we can open up the scriptures and show you more of the glory of Christ. We would love to. This is exciting. It's about your eternity. Do not let this moment go past. What have you got to lose? If you have seen the glory of the knowledge of Christ, is it still glorious for you? Or have you forgotten that we're still at war? And you're letting the God of this age blind the glory of the gospel? Paul's saying, Do not let your amazement at this Jesus fade. Be determined today to look to him, to spend time listening to our great God soaking yourself in the Word, slowing yourself down, not ticking it off as a a to-do, but listening to the God who loves us and is bringing us through this life into a life that will never perish and spoil or fade. Friends, this is the best news in the world. We've been shown mercy. We've seen the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Why in the world would we want to be quiet about it? Well, Paul tells us why we want to be quiet about it. We want to be quiet because we are clay jars. We are clay jars. It's hard to swim against the tide of this world. It's costly. It often feels like we'd be better off just shutting up and keeping quiet. It's what the world wants us to do, isn't it? There is no wall. There's no God. And we look at ourselves. and <laughs> I'm not very impressive. I don't have all the words to say, all the answers. I don't feel like I even live the way I want to live all the time. I'm hypocritical, I'm underprepared, I'm tired. I'm... And I just don't feel like I've got the energy to do this. And if it came down to my strength or ability, I know for sure no one will be a Christian. No one in this world. That's exactly how God made it. He works through clay pots, broken vessels like these, clay jars, Us, who don't have it all together, who haven't got it all sorted, so that people might see it's got nothing to do with us and everything to do with the God whose gospel it is. Look at me at verse 7. Now we have this treasure, the glory of Christ, the gospel, in clay jars, so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. Friends, this gives us great hope, doesn't it? I don't have to have life altogether because newsflash i don't it doesn't depend on how good i am or how well i can articulate it or how fancy i look or whether i've got a cape that says super apostle or if i if i come across to the world in a way that's smooth and articulate and kind of lines up all of their views with mine no. paul says the power is in the gospel it's in the gospel this news of jesus life death resurrection and ascension That God speaks by his spirit to the lives of people. And that gives us great hope. Great hope. Look at verse 8. We are pressured in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body. So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. He's setting forward himself as an example saying that this gospel that I speak is the true gospel. Don't go off to these super apostles. Yes, my life is broken. Yes, we're crushed. But do you see the reason for his confidence? That's what we need to focus on. The reason for his boldness is that God works through his brokenness. So he is a clay jar, a broken pot. But the incredible power of God works as he speaks the message plainly and boldly. Even though we are pressured in every way as we try to share the news of Jesus with others, even though we are perplexed, what do I do? What do I say? Should I say it? Should I not? Even though we are persecuted, it brings great costs sometimes and struck down. And by that, he doesn't just mean, oh, I got a little knock back. He means like blown to the head with like a bit of wood and kind of on the ground bleeding. He's gone, this is, this is not great. Even though all those things go on for Paul, he says we cannot be crushed. We cannot slum into despair. We will not be abandoned. We we cannot be destroyed because our hope is in Jesus. You could take everything in my life and I could still say God is enough because he has given me life forever. This life is not all there is and so nothing can be taken from it for it is just a blip compared to eternity. Let that fuel the way we share this news of Jesus for you. Hear the promise. Those who have seen, who have heard, who have put their lives in the hands of the God who speaks the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Let that truth drive you. You will not be destroyed, not eternally. You cannot be destroyed if you trust in Christ. It is impossible. They cannot take that from you. Oh, yes, you will be crushed. You might lose a job, you might lose a house. You might lose opportunities and life might not be as comfortable. Oh, very much. We should be expecting that. We should, we should not stand there and go, oh, you know, I don't want to share the gospel because this could burden the relationship. Paul's being bashed for it. I don't want to say this because uh, it might offend someone. It's the truth. It's the glory of the knowledge of Christ. Now, we've got to think through how we say it. Don't be arrogant tools about it and go around and go, you suck, I'm so much better than you. No, no. Went to the mercy of God, the love of God, the judgment that we are missing out on if we trust in Him. Do it lovingly, knowing that it will hurt. Are you hurting for the sharing of the gospel? Are there opportunities that you're missing? Are there resources that you're spending in your life to say, I want people to see the glory of Christ? This is real. We are at war No one at war says, oh, can I please have a more comfortable lounge in the trenches? We're at war. Therefore, Paul says two things. Therefore, we speak and we do not give up. Firstly, we speak. Despite knowing speaking the gospel, we'll see him persecuted, perplexed, struck down and smashed. He speaks anyway. What a freedom that is. To say, I'm, I'm going to stand up for the gospel. I'm going to speak the truth, even though the rest of the world hates it. Because it is true, it is glorious, and people can come to know him through this. What is your goal for your life? What are you, what are you trying to do with your time and your energy? What are you trying to see happen? I reflected on that for myself. I went, look, I really want to see our kids grow up. I want to see them kind of well adjusted human beings. I want to see them well operating in society. I want to see them understanding Jesus. I want to see uh, myself still trusting Jesus. But in the end, what I want for my kids and for our family is not, is not that we live a comfortable life, it's not that we end life with lots of riches or lots of um, great experiences. I want our kids and our family to do everything we can to see people recognize the glory of the gospel. And any moment I spend glory in anything else diminishes the value of the gospel. Oh, I can enjoy life. I can enjoy the gifts God's given me and say, what an amazing God he is. He's allowed me to, to experience this joy right now. And you know what matters most? That we live forever with him. So whether I've got this great gift or not, it doesn't matter squat because I have the glory of Christ in the gospel. That's what I want for my family and for me. Is that your reality? For you, will you continue to remember how great it is that we have been pulled from darkness to life and been offered life forever? Paul says, therefore, because the power of God is in his word, because we've been shown mercy Speak! Speak, so we speak. So we should speak. Be infectious with our love for Jesus. Talk about Jesus even when it brings great harm to our career. So what? Do we trust that God is in control of our career? Who gave me that job in the first place? God. What if it brings great harm to our our investments? What if we go, look, I can never own a house Because I'm just giving my money away. Or what if we go, I'm going to buy a house and use the resources that I can can organize my money with to put back into the gospel rather than having houses and houses and houses. I'm going to think through whatever resources I've got, whatever the best way forward is to use them for the spread of the kingdom. God's plan, he says, is that more and more people might give thanksgiving to God. That makes God look good. But God has an expansive view of what he is doing, that more and more might trust in Jesus. Imagine if we each committed to praying for five of our friends every day, that they would come to know Jesus. That's one of the things we do as a church. There's little cards that we have when you go through Newish called a five-for-five card. If you're here and you're not a Christian and someone's invited you, they're probably praying for you because they want you to see how great this is. Because they think that God's the one who's going to bring them to himself but I know I've been pretty slack in thinking through, am I praying for those people that are on that list? If you haven't got one of these or you lost it, there's a heap on the bookstore. Go and grab them. They're free. Get one, write down the name of five people and pray for them. Pray for an opportunity to uh, connect with them, to speak this gospel, to care for them, to invite them to church. Have a goal to see uh, every year. I want to see one more person come along to know Jesus and come to church. And actually go, I'm going to to do this. I'm going to trust God that he'll work through his word. It doesn't always promise to go, yes, they'll come from darkness to light. That's God's role, but we are to be faithful in it. Will we be, as a church, excited about the glory of the gospel? Will we take opportunities through these broken clay pots like us to see God's name held high in this city? Will we make bold and kind of outrageous moves so that people go, wow, your hope is not in this life? but in the life to come. Will we talk to those who are in other churches that speak a different gospel? Sometimes we're like, oh, it's all right, they're in another church, but they don't really get the gospel. It's kind of it's kind of close, but actually they're living for this prosperity thing. So often what we do is we stand back and we like, we'll just watch the train crash. We'll just let them keep going. Effectively, it's saying if they're not actually trusting in the true God, they'd go to hell. <laughs> Will we be... Jealous for God's name and say, come along and recognize what we think. See if your church can change. But Come along to a church. Who cares if it's us? Come on to a church where you're going to hear the truth of the gospel. We're not here for comfort. We're at war. We're going to say stuff that's unpopular. We need to say it. So share the gospel and do not give up. Do not give up. Now, I don't know what's going on for you in your life right now. I don't know how Satan is luring you away from God or crushing you or perplexing you or persecuting you or knocking you down. I don't know how that's going. I don't know how the idea that I've just raised of us being bold and radical and sharing the news of the gospel with our friends makes you feel. I don't know what fears and anxieties creep in as you think through that. You might be sitting there being like, oh, I don't know how to do this. It feels too much. Paul, from his experience of his own life and the knowledge of the resurrection says, do not give up. Do not give up. 4.16. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary and light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I don't know what fears are there for you right now. Possibility of losing a job if you speak up for Jesus. Possibility of losing friends and family. Possibility of being scared to speak of the gospel. Paul says you need to look at those real fears, and they're real, and they're fears. You need to look at them in light of eternity. You need to compare that, yes, this life is not meant to be easy. Yes, it is hard. There are sacrifices that we make, but God is shaping you now for an eternity of glory with him, of sharing that with those you love and care for, for those you've shared the news of Jesus with. Paul says of his own life, that the struggles I go through, and there are many, shipwrecked multiple times, nights out at sea, just in open water, bashings, prison, um, all sorts of whippings that he has, lashes, almost dying two, three times. He says they're light and momentary light and momentary he knows your struggles he knows mine he knows how hard it is and he says trust god he's incredibly powerful when he's shown us mercy trust him speak this message keep swimming against the current of the world we are in keep remembering we're at war and that jesus has won Look forward to eternity, that which is not yet seen but will be seen. Focus on that. When Jesus comes and he is installed as king over all and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and people will be in Christ because you, like a broken clay pot, said, Have you seen Jesus? He's my king. You need to trust him. Oh, how long that joy will last for eternity. I've seen those people who are in Christ, Because we, like broken pots, point to the incomparably great power of God spoken in the gospel. Friends, today, won't you make the determination to leave after hearing God's word determined to be a broken clay pot who points everyone around them, no matter what the cost, to the glory of the gospel in the face of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, if I'm honest right now, and many of us might be in the same case, we are a little scared. It's so hard to think through what it is like to give you the reins to our reputation, to the way the world thinks about us. We ask that you would fix our eyes on the clarity of the gospel, on the clarity that Jesus, God the Son, came and died in our place that he took the punishment for us and that he rose again and that resurrection is sure and that if we trust in him, we will be saved. Lord, may that permeate our lives. May we glory in it. May we be excited about it. May we go out of here today like a bunch of soldiers, knowing the war is already won. And instead of shooting guns, shooting the truth of your gospel, the mercy of God. Father, we pray that by your spirit, you would embolden us as a church embolden us as, as connect groups, as individuals, as people who are checking you out, Lord, let us today make steps to trust you. We pray that you might work through our feeble and broken efforts to see the friends that we would long to see come to know you, our colleagues come to know you. Lord, we ask that you might use us so that Jesus' name is held high and many, many more are added to your kingdom. Give us that clarity that is what we are here for. We pray this in your son's great name and for his glory. Amen.